Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part five of our sermon series entitled, In the Beginning. Please enjoy. Part five, the finale to In the Beginning. This has been a fun journey for me because I've never done a series through the book of Genesis. And and this is not even a full-blown series. I mean, there's so much more that we could get into. There's so many stories that we leapt frogged over and jumped over and just skipped. And there was some... The odd stories that I chose to skip over. And there was, there's some really rich stuff that's still to come in the book. There's this whole dynamic about this guy named Joseph that's going to come up. But, you know, I, I just felt like there were a few stories that I wanted to really share with you that I thought either had captured my heart or fascinated me or interested me. And this is the one that's interesting this week. Last week to me is one of the most heartfelt uh, stories in all of Genesis. This week is the most interesting. It's just kind of odd. It's, it's one of those stories that you can't quite see duplicated in any other story in the rest of the entire Bible. And so anyway, if you're joining us, we've walked through all of creation. We walked through the Tower of Babel. We walked through Abraham sacrificing his son or almost sacrificing his son. We walked through all these ideas. And one of the main things I wanted to show you through the book of Genesis was this, is that Jesus is all up in Genesis. Like he's there. He is there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He is there at the Tower of Babel. He is there speaking with Abraham. He is the type and shadow of what Isaac was being sacrificed on the altar. And today you will see him once again in bodily form as what was referred to as the angel of the Lord. Today we're going to cover a story that's just kind of referred to as Jacob wrestling with the angel of the Lord. How many of you have ever heard this story before? Great, a bunch of you have it. Let's read it together. If you have your Bible, go to Genesis chapter 32, and if not... Read along with me on the screen. The Bible says this. It says in verse 22 that Jacob arose that night and took his two sons, I'm sorry, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed over the fort of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he punched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, the angel of the Lord said, let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I'm not gonna let you go unless you bless me. So he said to them, what is your name? The angel says to Jacob, what is your name? He goes, I am Jacob. And he said, your name will no longer be called Jacob, but we're changing your name. You have a new name now. It is Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Let's pray and then we'll start talking about this great story. Father, we thank you, God, that your words give illumination. They give direction. Uh, God, they are the light that sets our path straight, God. And so we pray that, Lord, you would take this odd, interesting story and begin to challenge us and begin to change us from the inside out, God. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. We all said? Amen. Amen. Now, I need to help you out real quick here because... I'm going to need some amens this morning, and I'll tell you why. Yesterday, I went to a funeral, not a funeral, but a wedding. I love doing weddings, by the way. I love doing funerals, too, but the weddings are much better. Um, so, so, did that make y'all feel like it's one and the same? Something in him died that day, didn't it? <laughs> or her, I don't know which one. But look how far y'all have taken me. I just... I'm just going to try to encourage y'all this morning to help me preach. So, so, so check this out. So I go to do this wedding for this couple yesterday. And, and, and they don't go to our church, but the wedding planner does. And so th- that's how I got arranged with this thing. And they wanted a pastor. But then they were real adamant about not wanting a religious ceremony, which I'm like, hello. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I do. Uh, 
you should go get a boat captain and get married on a boat or something. Go hit the booze cruise and just go for it. But they wanted me to do their wedding, but they said, we, we're not really religious. And, and, and I think I kind of figured out why uh, they were adamant about not being religious because her side of the family, I think, was very religious. And I, I think she might have had some bad experiences and been kind of turned off because um, he's a white dude and she's a black girl. And, and, and I love black churches. Now, you need to know this about me. I, I told you I grew up in South Carolina. And when I got uh, saved and became a Christian, my best friend was a black guy. And he started taking me to all these gospel churches. And man, it's just a different kind of church. I grew up in this lily white Baptist church and, and, and we sang hymnals. It was very proper. You didn't clap at church. And then I started going to these gospel churches. And man, they would shuck the corn. I mean, they would get down. They would, you know, women would shout their slips off. I mean, it, would, it would just get buck wild up in there. And, 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 but man, they will talk to that preacher that, mm, yeah, mm-hmm, talk about it, mm, preach. And so sure enough, I'm trying to do yesterday, I'm trying to do this non-religious, I don't know what that means. I'm trying to do this non-religious wedding ceremony yesterday. And I get, and I just hide everything. I, just, I preach the Bible. I just don't quote the verse it comes from. And so um, I start laying all these lines and thoughts and ideas. And like her side of the family was like right here in the front section. And they could go, mm, 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 that's good. Go on now. Mm, you know that's right. And, and. And like, I, I eventually, I eventually got so just caught up in the moment. I was trying to be non-religious about everything, which most people think I'm non-religious anyway. Um, a lot of people leave our church because I'm not religious enough. But anyway, finally, I lean over and say, come on, can I get an amen? <laughs> right in the middle of the ceremony, I just, can I get a witness? And, uh, and so anyway, I want y'all to know, I just came yesterday from, from, from preaching to some good old gospel people. So like, if I say something good, y'all, I need like an amen this morning. Don't let the wedding crowd outdo you this morning. That's, that's all I'm saying. That, that's, that's all I'm going to talk about this morning. So anyway, today I want to talk to you about this story because this story, um, this story has huge implications. When I look at it, you need to know the context of the story. Everybody say Jacob. The central character of the story is, is Jacob until some weird, strange person shows up and starts wrestling, which, by the way, that's how we say it in South Carolina. In normal parts of the world, you say wrestling. It has an E in there, but if you're a redneck, it's wrestling because we grew up with Ric Flair. Woo! You got to be the man to beat the man. You got to walk that out. Do y'all remember that? Does anybody remember some good old... That was before it was WWE. That was back when it was WWF. And then, like, Wildlife Federation stole it. You know, it's like two redneck groups battling with each other for a name. And so... So, so anyway, you know, the wrestling guy shows up and this story just takes on like, where does this come from? No other story do you find God wrestling or wrestling with people for that matter. And, and so it's just kind of a unique story. But it starts off with Jacob. And you need to know something about Jacob's life for some of you who may not, not, not know. Jacob is, is the grandson of Abraham. So in the Old Testament, we have the patriarchal family that started the entire nation of Israel. It started with a man named Abraham. He has a kid named Isaac. And then Isaac has two kids. Everybody say two kids. That's important because inside of the womb, even the Bible talks about these two kids struggling with each other to see who will get out first and, and, and trying to, you know, there, there, there's something going on unique between this. And the Bible says that Esau and Jacob even grow up and kind of go in different directions. The Bible kind of describes Esau as a man's man, you know, uh, bearded, woolly booger, uh, animal skin clothing. He's out hunting and killing things. He's, he belongs to Duck Dynasty. And so, 
So anyway, but the Bible describes Jacob as being something different. They, it describes him as being kind of a mama's boy and, and, and stays in the home and, and, and is doing all the chores and following all of what moms would do in the house. And, and it kind of plays out this unique role. But, you know, you know, Jacob picks up on some stuff because women have a way about them. Women have a fantastic way of getting what they want regardless. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I mean that in a good way. My, my wife does that. She just, she smiles that smile and you know, I don't, she just has all these ways. And I'm like, okay. And, and so Jacob picks up on all these little nuances of saying, you know, there, there are other ways. I don't have to kill something to get what I want. Sometimes I can just sweet talk my way and whatever. But he also learns some negative ways of doing this. And he learns some manipulative ways of pulling this off. And so eventually he manipulates his brother, who's the older one into giving him the birthright. This family birthright was a huge, huge thing of honor and it was only to go to the firstborn son. So Jacob just absolutely tricks and manipulates uh, Esau into giving it to him. Well then, you know, like any big brother, how many know you actually never give your little brother anything anyway, right? Like, like you lied. You weren't really gonna give it to him. And so, so sure enough, well, he's like, well, fine. Well, I'll go trick dad. He, he actually waits until dad is so blind and so old, he can't see, can't hear real good. He's, he's in his very, very last days. And he basically like dresses up like Esau, <laughs> tries to sound like Esau. How do you do that? You say, hey dad, how you doing? You know, I don't know what he did, but he tricks the father into giving him the birthright and the blessing. Well, how do you know, like, it's one thing to hack off the wimpy mama's boy you don't want to hack off the bow hunter. You know what I'm talking about. You don't want to hack off the guy that walks around with machetes and, and, and swords and kills things for a living. And that's what he, but that's who he made mad. He hacks off Esau. So what does he do? He runs, which is what you all should do in that situation. You should run from the guy with the bow and arrow. So, so he runs and he flees to another land and he lives there. And what's funny is, is everything that he had done to lie and manipulate actually comes back to haunt him because the guy that he goes and works for Lies and manipulates him. This is all this interesting story. But finally, God shows up and tells Jacob, it's time to go home. Like, you got to go back and face the music. You got to go back and, and face your brother Esau. And you, it's time to go back and watch. I'll be with you. And we, something great is going to happen in you and through you. And so this is kind of the culmination leading up to this one moment where he is about to go see his brother Esau, whom he has not seen in years. And for all he knows, has, still has the bow and arrow ready to go. And it's in this moment, and I love what Jacob does. Jacob actually sets it up to where like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send all kinds of gifts, gold, goats, sheep, everything I got, I'm going to send it as a gift. And he like preps all the servants like, all right, when you see you, I'll just say this. This is all for you because I'm really, really sorry. And then he does something kind of strange. It's kind of a buster move. He's like, I'm going to send the wife and children first. He can't get that mad at wife and children, just in case. You know, anyway, so, so there's this unique dynamic where he's sending everything across first. And in the moment that he is finally left alone, something amazing happens. Is that God begins to wrestle with him and God begins to eventually break him and then God changes his name. Now, here's what I know about you, and here's what I know about me. We all have a little bit of Jacob in us. We all have a little bit of something in us that probably doesn't belong in us. We all have something that needs to be overhauled, needs to be removed, needs to be changed, needs to be eradicated, something in us. Because we're all humans, we all are born with sin, and we grow up in sinful environments, and our parents weren't perfect, and our neighborhood wasn't perfect, and we didn't make perfect decisions, and every relationship that we got in wasn't perfect. And so we've collected a whole bunch of garbage. Can I get a name? Does anybody... Okay, so this isn't the super holy crowd. So, 
My point is this, is that we all have a little bit of stuff. We all have a little bit of, because as a matter of fact, the name Jacob itself, do you know that the name Jacob means deceiver? That's what his name meant. His name meant kind of like liar, shady. And that's what he was known for. And that was what his name represented. And, and, and you and I all have the same thing in us. And eventually we come to a point in our lives where we realize we need to change. Now, let me tell you what that usually comes. It usually comes when we are scared into change. You ever been there before? Like eventually, like you, you have that thing in you that drives you towards bad decisions and drives you towards bad relationships and drives you into doing dumb things over or repeating the same cycles over. And finally, something like shocks you a little bit. Like I go back and I remember when I was a teenager, I was an awful teenager, but I remembered the night where I was like, you've gone too far, Todd. You've fallen over the deep end. You have lost your mind. Have you ever had that moment before where you're like, it's gone? And it usually happens when we get, like, like, like when that check bounces for the hundredth time, you just know. Well, you're bad with money, okay? It's just time. I'm going to sign up for Financial Peace University tomorrow. Like, I, it's a time. Or, you know, like, I, I remember I bumped into a guy one day and he had a big old cast on his hand. And I totally was just messing with him. Like, did you get mad and punch the wall? He goes, yep. I'm like, for real? I was a total show. He goes, yeah, I really, I got, I'm like, those are those wake up moments where you're like, when I hit the wall, when I kicked the dog, I knew I'd gone too far. You know, when I, when I crashed the car, I realized, you know what? I drink too much before I denied it all the time. And I just said, it's not a big deal. And I just do it on the weekends and I can, I can handle it. But it was when I crashed the car, life flashed before my eyes. And finally I realized I'm an idiot. And we all have these moments, and Jacob has this moment, because when life flashes before your eyes, that's usually the moment where you step back and say, okay, something's got to change here. And he knows, I've been a liar, and I've been a shady person, I've been a deceiver, and a manipulator, I've been that all my life. And you know what, because of my stupid behavior and my, and my just, my bad ways, I might die tomorrow unless God rescues me. And so the Bible says that he is left alone. And what do you want me to show you today? I'm going to show you that there's a process to change because there's some unique dynamics in these scriptures and these texts that show us what Jacob goes through to actually experience change because we all need to experience it, don't we? Like we all need, and hopefully it doesn't take you being scared. Hopefully it doesn't take that fifth divorce to get you to wake up like something's not right in me. It doesn't take you losing that job, you know, for the third time. It wasn't the boss's fault, okay? It wasn't a hat trick. It wasn't like every boss you had was awful. At some point, you got to wake up and realize something in me needs to change. And here's what I find about people. Is that most of us, when we have this moment, a couple of thoughts creep into our mind. One of them is this. Well, I don't think I can change. Like, I just don't think I can. Like, do you know how long I've been this way? My mom is like this. Like, I inherited this. This is in the DNA. I have always been angry. Mama was angry. We're angry people. And we have this thing in us that says, this is just the way it'll always be. I don't think I can change. Or we run into people that, that do go through this motion. You really, really want to change. And you know what happens is, is you give your best effort. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, you just run out of steam. And what you wanted to do so bad, you tried hard and tried hard and tried hard. Tried, and then all of a sudden, you just somehow ended up falling right back into the same old ways. And can I, can I get, is this, it's quiet up in this Methodist church. So, at some point, something's got to give. 
And hopefully what I'm going to show you today is that, 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 that change is typically not instantaneous. It is usually a process. And this is the process of change as Jacob shows it to us. Are you ready? The first thing that I want to show you is this. is in the Bible. Bible really, really points this out. Now, when the Bible points something out, you need to kind of like, you need to radar in on it. And the Bible goes out of its way in verse number 24 to say, then Jacob was left alone. Do you know, I think the first process to change is this, is you need some type of separation. Like you got to break away somehow. You got to like, you got to figure out how to remove yourself and change something. You got to change your environment. But like, if you stay in the same old routine over and over and over again and expect change to happen, isn't that the definition of insanity? Just to do the same thing over and over and expect different results? So at some point, you need to separate from that routine. Separate. Some of us, you've been, you, you, listen to me, you, you keep going to the same old clubs and wonder why you keep getting in trouble. You keep dating the same kind of girls, keep dating the same kind of guys and wonder why it doesn't work out. Hello? <laughs> at some point, we need to change. We, we have to separate. We have to do something. As a matter of fact, Mark Batterson says it like this, and you can put it up on the screen. He says it like this. He goes, a change of place plus a change of pace equals a change of perspective. Something's got to change. And I'm not saying like, if, if your marriage is bad, I'm not saying, no, you got to separate. You got to change. You need to move to another. That's not what I'm saying. Something in you needs to separate. Je I'll put it like this. Jesus said it. He said, when you keep stumbling into the same old sins over and over and over again, he said, you know what your best option is? It's to cut it off. Like if your eye is causing you to sin over and over and over again, like cut it off. If your hand keeps causing you to sin, oh, you gotta cut it off. What are you saying? He, now, Jesus never was into, you know, morbid ways of holiness. That, that's, it wasn't literal. He was saying you need to be radical and you're separating yourself from those things. Like at some point, you, you're gonna have to pull away. You're gonna have to separate. And the alternative is this. Just keep doing the same old, same old. I mean, that's the alternative. Just keep doing what you've always been doing. Keep living with the same results you've always been living in. Do you know what a rut is? A rut is a coffin with the ends kicked out. And that's where you'll stay. That's the alternative. But I'm telling you that Jacob is showing you the process today. And the very first process of this is you need to break out of normalcy. You need to break out of routine. You need to break out of what you've always done. Because if you want something that you've never had before, you're going to have to do something that you've never done before. The Bible says that after he was left alone, this is where it gets interesting, that a man, now if you're reading your Bible, you'll notice that's a capital M. A man wrestled with him. He touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. You know, the second experience that you need to have is this, is, is you need to actually experience God. You need to encounter God. You need to have an altercation and a confrontation with God. Like I, I just boil it down to this word, but it encapsulates a lot. Like some of you so badly want to change and so badly want that area and that thing of your life removed, but some of you, you don't experience God. Like you keep trying self-help mechanisms, but it's God. You keep trying to do all these little things that you know, Dr. Phil said, and, and Oprah recommended this book, but, but I'm telling you it's God. And until you have an encounter with the true and living God, some stuff just doesn't change. But I'm telling you, again, some of you, some of you are even believers, but you've gotten to a rut with this right here. You're like, well, I pray. Yeah, but you've been praying the same exact way for 20 years. Like at some point, you need change. 
Something's got to be different. You've got to break out of those old rhythms and find something new and find something fresh. Some of you, it's it just the way that you worship. Some of you, you know, the way you, some of you need to change the, the translation of the Bible that you read. Read a different version. Read at a different time of day. Some of you need to start going on prayer walks instead of just praying in your car, praying in your shower, or praying and then falling asleep at night. But like somewhere, somehow, you're going to have to change how it is that you encounter God. Because separate from you experiencing and encountering God, this thing's going to remain. Many of you, the reason why you fall into the same old patterns and the same old habits is because ultimately you're trying to get the fix and feed the need of what's actually empty in your heart. Jesus has this really, really fascinating thing. It's in, I think it's in Mark chapter 12, but... He talks about it from a spiritual standpoint, and I'll just quote it for you. The Bible says that, that he talks about a man who has basically the enemy attacking him. He describes it like this. He says, when a demon goes out of the man, he goes through the dry places seeking rest. But when he finds none, he goes back to the man and back to the place from which he came. And when he finds it, he finds it clean, swept, and put in order. Or I'm, find, I'm sorry, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. And he returns to that man and brings with him seven more demons more wicked than himself. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. It's this fascinating little story, this little quip that he tells. But you know what he's getting at? You know what the real nut and bolt of it is? He said the problem with so many people is, is that they realize they want to remove sin or remove evil from their life, but they never actually replace it with anything. So when the demon comes back, he finds the place empty, cleaned up, kind of put in order. That, have you ever done that before? You ever hit a point in life where you're like, I really need to quit this. I really need to give that up. I've got to stop doing that. And you did. For a little while. See, the problem is this, is that your soul craves. And when your soul is not feasting on the things of this world that are destroying your life, it looks for something. And I'm telling you, you've got to replace that with an encounter and an experience of the one true living God. If not, the evil inclination comes back and finds you just empty. The goal is this, is to get rid of the sin, but to replace it with the life of God. The only way that you can do that is have an experience, an encounter with God. This unique wrestling with God. We'll, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So the Bible says that when the angel saw that he did not prevail against Jacob. Now, I, I just give some props real quick here. How awesome are you? to wrestle with an angel of the Lord and to hang in there. Like, that's pretty awesome. And I actually think that what you'll find is this, is that God likes a fighter. God likes somebody that just, just got a little bit of grit and toughness about him because this is, this is what happens. When the angel saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched or literally punched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled. Listen to me, Jacob puts in the bite of his life you know what the, the, the third element of, of the process is? Is that you need some perseverance. Like you need to know that your life being changed is, is probably not gonna be a quick fix. It's not gonna be instantaneous. You can't pop a pill and drink some Jesus juice and expect, voila, super Christian to pop out. That's not reality. That's not how this works. There is no such thing as, as a magic super pill. Like for many of you, when you got saved and you became a Christian, life began to get easier. Certain things just got naturally easier. Th certain things got better. The sky got bluer. 
children became, oh, you know, you, you just, you woke up and you had some life in you. You felt like, like something had hit you and you felt like this freshness of hope and joy. And certain things that you had in your life just seemed to fade away. Did you notice that? Now, not everybody's story is the same, but here's what I know. When I became a Christian man, it felt like certain things just became easier. But you know what I noticed about other things? Certain other things got harder. A certain other thing, like there were certain things that I did as a young man before I became a Christian that I gave up instantaneously. Like, I mean, just all kinds of things you can, gave them up instantaneously. Never did that again, never did that again, never touched that again, never tasted that again, never, you know. Because I inhaled, I'm not going to lie. And anybody tells that you they lie too. So anyway, my, my point is, that stuff, man, I'm talking about instantaneously just lifted. It was the most wonderful little thing. And I felt so full of life. But, you know, there were other areas of my life, they didn't lift instantaneously. As, as a young man that was surrounded by a lot of lustful things and ideas and images, man, that was something I struggled with. Like, that didn't just lift up all, I wish it was. I wish it was one of the things that just, la, 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 la. I wish it just did that. There were certain things in my life that were so buried and so hidden that not only did they not leave, they didn't even surface until years later. And then I saw, holy cow, deep inside of my heart was buried this evil and I didn't even know it was there. And there are certain elements that you just struggle with. Can I just tell you? You're okay. Like, I'm struggling with you. We're all wrestling together. We're all in the same fight together. One of the best things that I can give you this, little, this morning is this, is buck up, little buckaroo. You're going to make it. It's all good. You, you, God is with you. Keep fighting. Like God loves a fighter. God loves somebody who doesn't quit. God loves somebody who gets knocked down. It, it, God loves the Rocky Balboa in you. Just get the, the life kicked right out of you and get right back up again. God appreciates that. There's something in of us that needs to persevere and say, you know what? It's okay. Yes, I failed getting right back up again. Yeah, I struggled with that, and I, dang it, I'm, but I'm getting right back up again. Proverbs says that a righteous man, though he falls seven times, he keeps getting back up. And there's something in you, and there's something in me that needs to have that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews. I want to read it for you. The Bible says that we should imitate those who through faith and what? Yeah, how do you inherit the promises of God? Like all that God has for you, all that God has in store for you, the person, the man or woman of God that he wants you to become, how do you inherit that? It wasn't through faith alone, but it was through faith in what? Patience. Like, you better hold on. Some of you are working on that same thing, and it feels like you've been working on it for years. Can I encourage you? Hold on. God's not done with you yet. Don't quit. That's the alternative, isn't it? Well, I'll just quit. And then do what? Go back to a life that destroys you, your future, your family, and everything around you. That's brilliant. Why don't you just get back up and give it another go? Because God is for you. He's going to wrestle this thing out of you if you will let him. The Bible says this, and we're going to get to the main part. This is the best. This is the meaty. This is the goods right here. Are you ready? So the Bible says that the angel says to him, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. Notice the whole story was all about a blessing and a birthright. The Bible says, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And, and the angel of the Lord just does something so fascinating. He goes, what is your name? And I don't know what happened in Jacob this moment. I, I don't know what, what ran through his brain, but this, this is the way I experience it. I think for the first time that Jacob stepped back and he thought about that for a moment. He thought, 
And maybe, maybe God let life flash before his eyes. But in that moment, now did God know what his name was? Was that like a we all need to put on name tags because God forgot thing? Of course not. Whenever God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. It's because you don't know the answer. Or you need to think about the answer. So God says, what is your name? Oh, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar. I deceive people. I manipulate to get my way. That's what I do. Okay, you got me. I am who they said I am. I have those issues. I have those problems. I have those addictions. I'm Jacob. And in that moment, you know what he did? He did the most powerful thing that you can ever do. He actually got honest. You know what? I mean, until you, you, you get honest and, and until you own it, change is not going to happen. The most frustrating people in the world that I counsel with are people who come into my office or come to me. And it's not that they don't think they can change. I, I can help you with that. It's not that, that you want to change and then you seem to do good and then you fall and then you seem to do good. I, 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 we, we'll work on that. We'll wrestle and wrestle. We'll fight. We'll fight. The worst things in the world are people that come to me and it's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else's issues. They have a way of excusing or justifying or blaming why the demon and evil still lives in them. And I almost wonder, did Jacob just live that way his whole life? Well, that, that, no, that was Esau's fault. He was the one that came in hungry. I just, you know what I'm saying? I just, I, they, they owed me that. I deserved that birthright. I got it fair and square. And so yeah, I had to trick dad to get it, but it, it was mine. You know what? All the people that lied to me and deceived me, that's just how the world works. If you don't lie and deceive, you get left behind. And you almost wonder, did Jacob just kind of lie to himself his whole life? And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord asked him, well, what, what's your name? Oh, I'm Jacob. See, some of us do this with, with, with our, our lives, and we have ways of, of excusing. Some of us will say things like, well, you know, I'm just not a people person. No, you're rude. And that's just rudeness. You're, you, you know, we say things like, well, no, 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 I'm just a foodie. I just love food. No, you eat too much. You eat your feelings. You eat to cope. It's not healthy. It's not good. It's not okay. Some people are like, no, I just love to sleep. I'm a really good sleeper. No, you're lazy. <laughs> you know, at some point, you, you have to say, no, 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 I, no, no, I have a drinking problem. No, I'm addicted to porn. No, I have anger issues. At some point, the best thing you can ever do with your life is this. And I'm going to give you this. And if you write this down, you need to own it. You need to confess it. And you need to give it to Jesus. You need to own it. You need to confess it. And you need to give it to Jesus. The Bible says that freedom comes when you confess. The Bible says that forgiveness and healing and mercy comes. As a matter of fact, you want to read it real quick? Proverbs 28, 13. The Bible says, he who covers his sin or calls it something other than what it is will not prosper. But whoever what? Confesses and then forsakes. They will have mercy. The best thing you can do is own it, confess it, and give it to Jesus. Like, but as long as you keep hiding under the blanket of some weird excuse or some weird justification or some weird way of renaming it to make it sound something a little bit softer than what it really is, you know what the problem is? You're going to stay living with that evil inclination in your heart. 
and it's going to keep you from fulfilling everything that God has for you, becoming everything has for you. It will keep you from becoming the father, becoming the mother that you were meant to be, becoming the spouse that you were meant to be, becoming the champion in the kingdom of God that he wants you to be. Why? Because we're hiding things. I'm telling you the best thing you can do. It's like, no, this is my issue. I have a problem with this. These are my issues. As a matter of fact, do you know that Jesus actually gives you this advice? There's this really odd scripture I want to share with you today. Listen to this scripture. It's, it's from Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus gives this when referring to how do you interact with your spiritual enemy, Satan, and, and how this all works. Listen to what he says here. He says, agree with your adversary quickly. While you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out there until you have paid the last penny. Now, I don't know about you, but I read the scripture for the longest time and I thought, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like, where in the world? Like, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. This is like, you know, blessed are this and blessed are this. It's like all this rich stuff. And then all of a sudden he gets into this almost legal advice, legal counsel. And you know what his legal counsel is? His legal counsel is this. If you're guilty, plea. Like, that's the best information. Like, plea. Plea it down. Try to get the lightest sentence. Because if you go in there and you start defending and they find you guilty, you're host. So the best thing, if you're guilty, plea it down. And you think, okay, all right, good, good. That's good legal counsel. That's good legal. And then you think, okay, well, does he have a deeper meaning though? Because when he uses the word adversary, I start thinking about all the other places in the scripture where Satan is referred to as what? The adversary, the enemy, the thief, the accuser of the brethren. And I start thinking, oh, well, this makes total sense now. Because see, sometimes the, the enemy comes to accuse you. And you know what our natural defense is? Our natural defense is like, well, that's no, not me. No, I'm not. And he goes, you know what you ought to do? When your spiritual enemy, Satan, accuses you, you know what you ought to do? Just agree with him. Yeah. Because anything else comes from a place of pride that says, I'm going to defend and I'm going to defend and I'm going to defend. He said, the best thing you can do when your spiritual enemy attacks you and he accuses you, just agree with him. So the next time the enemy says, hey, look, man, you're, you're awful. You know what? You, I'm right. But you know what? Jesus has redeemed me. And I may not be the greatest father, but the Bible says that he is a perfect heavenly father and he is a father to the fatherless. And so, you know what, God, and that perfect father is working things out in me. And I may not be the best dad. You may be absolutely right, but my heavenly. See, what you have to do is this, is you have to go ahead and own it and then give it to Jesus. And every time the enemy attacks you, because anything else would be to stand in your own self-righteousness, wouldn't it? Well, no, I'm not. I'm a great this. I'm a good that. I'm a great. He says, don't do that. Just own it and then point to Jesus. Just own it and say, yeah, that's fine. But look at Jesus. No, I'm not perfect, but look at Jesus. No, I'm not, I don't have it all together, but have you seen my God? That's what he is in essence saying is this. Is the best thing you can do it when you have an issue or even when the enemy, just own it. Confess it. And then give it to Jesus. He goes, when you do that, the enemy has nothing against you. Because when you point to Jesus, you think, well, yeah, but Jesus paid the, paid the price for my sin. You're right, Jesus paid the price for that sin in me. That's on him now. And so you can accuse me all day long and he has already taken the penalty for my sin. The best thing that you can do is own it, confess it, and give it to Jesus. But it is only when you own it that this, this amazing thing starts to happen. You release yourself from the burden of having to be or having to hide. Because think about all these sins in our life. All these sins stay hidden and stay unconfessed and then we wonder why it doesn't change. The best thing that you can do is confess it, own it, and then give it to Jesus because then you can, you can basically utter the phrase, I can't. 
That's what you want to do. I can't, but he can through me. Yeah, I've got these issues. I can't, but he can through me. I can't, but he can through me. And you know where you end up? This is the end result of every experience that you should have with God. Every time that you persevere with God, every time that you stay right where God wants you to be, you know what's going to happen? Is you're going to get on the other side of that experience and something in you will be broken, but your life will be changed forever. And on the other side of this experience, Jacob is completely broken. He walks with a limp for the rest of his life, but bless God, he has a different name. His name is Israel, which means prevailing with God. And God said, you're different. You're changed. You will never be the same again because you struggle with men, you struggle with me, and you prevail. I love that you're a fighter. I love that you hung in there and that you went through the pain and that you went through the process. And I wanted to do something great in you. And you know what? You didn't, you didn't justify one more time. You didn't blame one more time. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what did Adam do when he was asked about his sin? Did he say, you know what, God? I did it. I disobeyed you. You're right. I, I repent. No. He said, the woman that you gave me, it was a double blame. The woman that you gave me. I mean, this is her fault and your fault. And Adam lived in his sin for the rest of his life. God didn't change his name. But then you have Jacob. He goes, you'll never be the same again. And so, so for some of us, we feel lost. We feel so lost as, as, as whether it's husbands or parents or just men or women or whatever it is. And God says, no, no you're, not, you're not lost. You're redeemed. I'm gonna give you a new name. Do you know that the entire New Testament basically has one theme throughout it? Is God giving you 20, 30, 40, 50 different ways to rename your life? I'm not lost. I'm redeemed. Some of you feel unworthy. He's like, no, no, you're justified. Some of you feel defeated. And he goes, no, 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 you're more than a conqueror. Didn't you read that? That's in Romans. You're more than a conqueror. You didn't get that far yet. I'm wanting to rename you. Some of you feel unaccepted, like not sure if God really loves you and embraces you. And he goes, no, 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 you're actually seated with Christ in heavenly places. Haven't you read that yet? I already renamed you. Some of you feel a, a little bit used up. A little bit road hard and put up wet and been through too much. He goes, no, no, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Didn't you get the memo? Like, I renamed you. Some of you feel unloved. He goes, no, you're the beloved. You, you. Some of you feel guilty. He's like, no, you're forgiven. Some of you feel alone. He goes, no, no, you're a child of God. Some of you feel like you don't have anything. He goes, actually, you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. You have everything. Do you know that God wants to rename your life? Everything about you that you've ever done that, that led to some type of defeat or some type of failure, God wants to rename in you. God wants to take you through this process where you separate yourself from all that you have been doing. You isolate and separate and remove yourself from all those things and all those places. You actually get alone with God and have a real encounter and real experience with the one true living God. And then you wrestle with it. Some of you have been wrestling too long. Here, here's a question I would have for you this morning. How long is it going to take? Like, how long does God have to wrestle with you before you just yield and give up? Like, God wants you to rest and give up. He wants to win. He wants to take over and for you to give up to him. Here's a question for you. What does God have to dislocate in your life before you come to the end of yourself? Sometimes God's got to break something. He had to break Jacob's hip to get him to stop. Like you need to yield to me and I'll break it if I have to. Some of us have done that. Some of us have had relationships and they went south and we're like, you have a broken heart? You're like, the devil is against me. No, it was God. God broke that because he's trying to get you to yield. 
And some of us need to be broken before we quit fighting against God. And the end result is this, is that God changes our name. Here's the last question I want you to wrestle with today. In what area of your life do you need God to rename you? In what area of your life do you need God to rename you? Because some of us, you've been carrying the labels of this world. You've been carrying the labels that someone spoke over you. You've been carrying the labels of what mom said or what dad said or what that person said or what that person Facebooked about you and it got all kinds of bad. You've been living with these wrong labels. What area of your life does God need to be relabeled or, or does God need to relabel over you? Because God wants to change your name. And here's what I know is that God doesn't want to leave you the same that way, way that he found you. He wants to leave you in the most amazing way. He wants to propel you forward into an abundant, full life. Will you let him do that? Pray with me this morning. You know what? I, I, I think I'd like to take about 30, 40 seconds right now. And, and there's some of you in here who know that area of your life. You've been blaming You've been justifying, you've been making excuses, you've got cute ways of wording it to make it sound better to your husband or to sound better to your wife. You've been telling your friends, no, no, it's not that big of a deal. I'm telling you, I want you to own it. And I want you to take 30 seconds right now and I want you to come before God and say, you know what, God? I am Jacob. And I'm tired of dealing with that area of my life. I'm tired of fighting and struggling. I wanna yield to you. Today, God, I'm gonna own it. And just say, you know what? I do. That This is my issue. This is where I'm at. And I'm not afraid to say that because I know that you're with me. Today, I'm going to own it. I'm going to confess it to you. I'm going to give it to you. I thank you. I don't have to stand on my own righteousness today. The devil can accuse me all day long. It, it won't matter. I stand in your righteousness. I don't have to defend my own honor. You defend my honor. I don't have to defend my worth. You defend my worth. What area are you wrestling God in? I'm telling you if, you, if you'll give up to God, you'll win. If you'll yield to God, you'll win. If you let him take over, you win. Because what God can do in you is far greater than what we can do in and of ourselves. Is, is there an area of our life where we need to cut something off? Is there, is there a relationship? Is there a place? Is there a group? Is there a thing that we need to cut off and cut out? Because I guarantee you, I'm telling you, if you don't cut it out, you're gonna keep living those same routines and those same cycles and those same patterns and still living in that same empty world that's not gonna work. At some point, you're gonna have to let it go and cut it off and remove it, separate yourself from it. If not, you'll never get far enough away from it to where you can truly encounter God. Father, we surrender. We surrender, God. We give up and we give it to you, God. We pray that today that we would walk out of this place, God, and the burden would be lifted because we don't have to carry it anymore. We don't have to defend ourselves anymore. We don't have to make excuses anymore. God, we pray that you would take over, that you would take control. God, you would have your way in our life and rename us. Some of you out there, do you struggle with your worth? I want you to know that you are absolutely worthy. You are so worthy that Jesus died on a cross. That's how important and precious you were in his eyes. You don't have to struggle with unworthiness anymore. 
Allow God to rename you this morning as a child of God. Father, we thank you for that. And we bless you that as we leave here today, God, that you will be with us, that God, you will be speaking these things over us, that Lord God, as we continue to journey with you and wrestle you, God, you will continue to change areas of our life and change our name in certain areas, God, and bless us and redeem us and propel us forward, God, in everything that you have for us. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing in us, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Can we give the Lord a big Thank you again for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.